Hello and welcome to this podcast series with postgraduate students in the Department of Geography. So these are all students who are taking the MA module in Spatial Justice. Um, but um, not all the students come from Geography, the discipline of Geography. They're drawn from um, Anthropology and Sociology and Media Studies. And today we have Will Stringer, who is an MA student uh, in Anthropology. Which is, which is great, um, and Will is here to talk to us about his work on um, XR, Extinction Rebellion, and questions of participation and um, justice, uh, especially spatial justice, and um, you're very welcome, Will. Oh, yeah. um, maybe you could just introduce yourself to listeners and say a little bit about how you got interested in XR to begin with. Yeah, I, I suppose um, I feel like there's this sort of two parts of the story. So the first is, is when I became interested in climate activism. And the second is when this idea of sit-in assemblies and XR um, clocked on my, um, my radar. So I guess to, to answer the first part really qu quickly is that I've sort of been involved in climate activism in, in different forms for, for a while. Um, the first um, memory I think I have of that is uh, being in primary school and a recycling robot was wheeled out. And I thought this was the, the coolest thing uh, I'd seen. So I was totally radicalized by this robot um, and became part of the primary school council. Um, and that was when I first encountered the sort of frustrations around bureaucracy. Everything felt like it took a million years and there was really no real change that seemed to happen. So um, I sort of burned by that. I skipped forward a few years. Um, I suppose the first major climate campaign that I was involved in was a divestment campaign um, within my undergraduate university um, in Scotland. Um, essentially, I'd learned that the investments that the institution were making were significant in the areas of mining, oil and gas extraction. Um, and year on year, they were putting money into the destruction of the planet whilst presenting themselves as this sort of forward-looking institution. And this made me pretty enraged. Um, so I sort of worked mobilizing student body and, and alumni and donors um, to apply pressure. And there was a lot of encountering resistance to change and a desire to make that really slow. Eventually, it was successful and uh, they did commit to a full divestment. But... What I loved about doing that was including people um, into the conversation and about where where um, this money is going, um, what is public money, what is the sort of institution's money, and what sort of rights, responsibilities they have. So um, the felt experience, I guess, from that was of including people um, and climate activism really was a sort of seed um, from there. Um, but when I first heard of Extinction Rebellion or XR, I was in a coffee shop um, in Edinburgh. So um, I was meeting a guy there. It was a really boring date. Um, and as boring dates go, you often um, get to the question of, so so what are you doing this weekend? Um, and he was telling me that he was going to London. He would probably be getting arrested um, because he was going to be taking part in XR action. He got out his phone at this point and uh, told me about the three demands, um, which were at the time, tell the truth, act now and um, create a climate um, sit-in assembly. And this was around 2018. And so I started reading into what sit-in assemblies were um, and was uh, really attracted by the idea of them as well as um, 
being on the sidelines and seeing how XR's approach worked out and uh, the many conflicts and criticisms that this um, approach provoked. So when doing this essay, so ideas of participation within social movements and their demand for participation, um, looking at these side by side was really attractive um, to me as something to, to research. Yeah, that, it's interesting. I, I didn't know that about your background in divestment, or at least maybe if I did, I, I'd forgotten. You may have said it in an earlier class. But um, uh, it, I think it's interesting. I was in Trinity when that divestment campaign was happening in Ireland, and there was a lot of, a lot of students who really got brought into the climate movement through that campaign. And I, I know that this chat is about XR, but it might be interesting later on to talk about the differences between those campaigns. And I don't know, there's something about the divestment campaign that was, maybe because it was quite specific, it had quite specific demands and it, it could draw in lots of people. It was kind of quite black and white. Um, it seemed to have been a real mobilizer of, of students who were still, you know, ones I know who are young, young activists in the climate movement. That was how they got brought in. Um, but um, you started talking about XR and I guess your own interaction with them or um, introduction to them, but maybe, you know, for the listeners, you could give um, a little bit more of a history about XR, like, you know, when it started and where it started, which I think is, is important, especially for where we're going to go with the conversation. And also, I guess the kinds of I guess the context out of which it it emerged, like why it started. I mean, because you know, we, there was divestment. There's been other kinds of campaigns around climate action, but why was it specifically, you know, the 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 context, both kind of geographic maybe, but also the kind of time that kind of led to XR um, emerging. Yeah, it's um, it's a really great great question because um, uh, I suppose when before I, I touch on what what XR is, I think. When we think of movements or networks like XR, we can sometimes fall into the trap of thinking they came out of nowhere, you know, and are applicable to everywhere. And people who just happen to care, happen to come together. And the environment in which this all happens sort of doesn't impact the structure or demands they choose to take. And it's just about what people care about. But of course, as soon as you dig a bit deeper, you realize the importance of that soil from which they grow. Um, and to borrow the sort of bee symbol that's used within XR. So the honey is going to taste um, different, I suppose, mm -hmm. to uh, depending on what flowers the bees have around them. So, um, but uh, yeah, to introduce XR, um, um, it's a sort of movement of self-declared rebels um, that adopt non-violent approaches to climate action. Um, so that can be blocking motorways or um, climbing on top of um, Holyrood in Scotland, uh, the, the government building there. Um, and uh, XR began life in, in the UK um, as um, you know, coming from um, another organization called Rising Up um, and was founded by climate activists, um, including Roger Hallam, Gail Bradbrook and, and Sarah Lunnan. Although I'd say Hallam is the one which is the most associated with that um, still. Um, uh, although it's recently um, moved on to, to form a sort of political party. Um, the, the group has, um, has three key demands, um, which I touched on, which was one, which is about telling the truth, two, which is sort of act now, um, and three, which is sort of going beyond politics through the establishment of a citizens' assembly on climate 
that so that third demand has has recently yeah it's it's recently changed um to being framed as be the change um but it still includes that sit assembly demand um and it, you know citizens assembly still are, are seen as a as a core part of um the demand that xr has uh they have a a, a large number of groups outside of britain which um you know are active or not active um in different ways um they include one you know here in xr ireland um but also you know democratic republic of congo Aotearoa, argentina um but crucial to understanding them is that it's it's not a membership group it's not like um say antoshka or national trust for scotland so um there are no members of xr either if um I wanted to join I wouldn't be a member and uh, nor are the um, are the local groups um, so uh, the country specific groups like XR Ireland um, or are referred to as uh, affiliate groups and um, they're allowed to use the XR logo and campaign under the XR banner provided they adhere to those to um, core principles and values of, of XR so these um, include nonviolence um, valuing autonomy and um, decentralization of, of power. But again, to, I guess, if going back to the sort of B analogy, instead of imagining uh, XR as a queen bee who sort of dictates what happens, you know, the idea is that the, the hive works together um, to get climate action. So in other words, XR has the, has the ambition of a decentralized participatory governance model um, it contains these fairly autonomous and um, concentric circles, which each have their own job to do. So if you can imagine each um, column of the hive or each uh, group of worker bees, each has their own um, job to do. Um, and these circles are self-organized and people take on roles to fulfill um, mandates. Um, so yeah, I guess the the environment which they they've, they've sort of sprung up, you know, the this is um, you know, similar timeframes to the Fridays for Future, um, which uh, they're often put in comparison with each with with each other. Um, Fridays for Future doesn't have um, such specific demands um, as as XR, um, and um, you know now there are lots of splinter groups from XR which XR works with. Um, such as Just Stop Oil, um, and I guess within um, this, the, the UK, um, it's, it, I guess it came at a time when there was real frustration over the lack of action um, that, that just wasn't happening on, um, on the climate, and uh, this sort of seeking to, to mobilise that. But of course, this is also in a post-Brexit um, Britain um, context, as well, so you've got that um, playing, playing out, um, and um, you know the uh, during that time, uh, the uh, um, recommitment, I guess, of uh, or the re-election of the the Conservative government um, has happened during XR's time as well. Uh, so it's um, yeah, it's an interesting environment in which uh, a, a climate movement has has gone. Um, so I guess, however, despite this sort of inclusive model that I've, I've talked about, the sort of intention of inclusion, maybe, um, there's been a lot of controversies um, 
that have been presented to the to the movement. So within within Britain, you've um, you have the criticism that their approach often centres getting arre- getting arrested, um, which really um, neglected to consider the effect that has on on black people and people of colour to get involved. Um, you know, long histories of police brutality. Um, that are still so self-evident, you know, today. So there are also criticisms of the the wider tactics that are deployed. Their relationships with police um, is often one which is criticised, and their vision for what non-violence means, or what the boundaries are of what is violent or non-violent. And I guess all of this taps into a broader criticism of XR that it didn't learn from all that was going on around it, um, the other climate movements that had come before it. Um, and uh, I guess Lawrence Cox, for example, provides um, such a critique of XR in, in 2019. Great, thanks. That was a, a really good, um, really good overview um, of XR. And I, I guess that thing about the kind of uh, uh, almost like romanticization of, of, of direct action and being arrested is, um, is reflected in your anecdote as well about meeting this, this guy on a terrible date and the, the, the thing he was saying was he was going to London to get arrested. Um, but um, I was wondering if you could go a little bit more into this question about participation and these critiques of XR, um, because um, I, I guess it's, it's, it, 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 it's, it's interesting to, to talk about, but it's also the focus of your essay and your work. And particularly, you know, you draw on some interesting political theory um, to sort of interpret or examine or interrogate um, the, um, I guess, the kind of, yeah, the dynamics of, of, of participation or inclusion and exclusion that operates within XR. So maybe you could talk a little bit about that, the, the theoretical tools that you're drawing on and also how they might help give some, some analytic, analytic kind of purchase on, on XR. Yeah, sure. Um, I guess my my essay drew really heavily um, from Nancy Fraser's really wonderful, extensive um, work on publics, counterpublics, and participation. So Fraser was um, was responding to the position of a, of a theorist called Habermas, who had quite a limited vision of what it means to be involved in in public life, and instead Fraser advocated for multiple publics, um, that she termed sort of counterpublics and for this sort of justice element of participation. Um, and there are two quotes that I really loved from um, Fraser's 2009 article, Scales of Justice, Reimagining Political Space in a Globalizing World, like the, that, um, yeah, I guess I'd like to, to share. So first, the, the most general meaning of justice is parity of participation. Justice requires social arrangements that permit all to participate as peers in social life. And the second is that overcoming justice means dismantling institutionalized obstacles that prevent some people from participating on a par with others as full partner in social interaction. And we can see these both embodied and challenged um, through some of XR's criticisms, you know how people of color are restricted from from their involvement, and other people who've experienced um, police brutality. Um, but we also can see it through um, its intention. You know, the structure of, of XR is 
intended to try to include people um, uh, give them autonomy and mandates and make action happen you, know, you could say it's sort of multiplying lots of counterpublics within itself um, if you want to you can go go further so the this sort of vision for a sit assembly equally projects an idea that climate action will and can only happen through the inclusion of all people whether or not you agree with it being constituted in an assembly itself um, and one of the really interesting things about XR is that they don't pretend to have all the answers and certainly there doesn't appear to be a desire to take up a, a position of being the public, for instance, um, and be, you know, having all the answers to, to climate, um, uh, the climate crisis. Um, they sort of ask that everyday people like, um, like you and I are sort of involved in decisions about the climate, um, about the climate crisis, um, which would really shift the way in which democracy is done. And I suppose we're recording this on the day of the, the Stormont elections in Northern Ireland, you know, this approach of involving people beyond electoral cycles really would shift things um, and go towards some of the responses as well to populism that Rosenbaum sketched out um, in his book that was translated last year on um, looking at creating a ideology of, um, of populism. Um, so, <clears throat> yes, yeah, was Cox, um, uh, he, you know, criticizes the, the, um, lack of lear learning from other social movements and, um, the, what he, um, considered, uh, n not responding, um, to, uh, the criticisms, um, that were, um, of XR, uh, in a really substantial way involving people and um, uh, who maybe had never been involved in climate activism before and then uh, this feeling that they uh, maybe wouldn't get involved again um, because they were uh, you know they were facing the real consequences of either their direct action or they just um, really didn't feel involved um, or feel like they could be part of that that movement and that can be in, in, in lots of ways um, there was other research into um, XR in Manchester as well, um, and the, the group there, which uh, looked at how people might be, be put off as well through some of the ways in which XR um, were trying to take care of the act activists. Um, so after the November rebellion, lots of people wanted to get involved. You know, it was a, it was a really um, pivotal moment for, for XR in 2018. Um, and the the researchers uh, involved in that, um, you know, described how uh, the um, uh, you know the first session that they that it came to was sort of sort of a health self healing one and had this sort of um, hippie vibe to it, um, and it really put a lot of people off who were um, otherwise interested in in getting involved and. Um, these sorts of really long, um, drawn-out meetings, which, uh, yeah, if people, some people felt um, really put off by. Um, so although there was this um, intention for inclusion and intention for supporting their activists, some of the ways in which that was manifested really did the opposite. To keep going on that, I mean, that critique about, you know, the extent to which they have or haven't reflected or the extent to which they have or haven't changed, I mean, maybe you could you know, you could say something about that because, you know, I also think it's, it is important to recognize, as you said at the beginning, I mean, XR is not one thing. 
um, even in terms of you know it's 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 organization it's it's quite um, um, uh, what's the word maybe thin in terms of it the way in which it organizes like you know being in different places and being quite extensive but not being you know centralized and you know you know has its demands and and principles as you said and and certain tactics and strategies but you know lots of people kind of you know maybe ally with xr or come in and out of xr but involved in other groups and take learnings to other groups and you know things are much more transitory and dynamic than maybe you know it, it often seems when we talk about this thing xr so yeah there's certainly been i think it's benefited um xr that permeability um actually of, the, of these you know we i was talking about them as, as sort of concentric circles but of course people don't live like that you know they're not like living existing living breathing um xr every day you know that's um for for a lot of them they're, they're involved in lots of other work and have been so whilst the beginning there maybe wasn't as as um as much bringing together some though those really powerful um differences of um experience um i think that 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 is that's definitely changed and um and people are really shaping xr in really ex exciting ways um it's also worth really acknowledging how challenging xr's role has been um within um the, the uk where it's the most um i guess prolific um in particular you know in a in that that uh, environment which i was talking about earlier of conservatism um they've been taking a huge amount of flag um for uh, you know disrupting people's travel to work and um their their actions more widely um and uh, you know that's um they've been sort of soaking it in and they have been making internal changes and and changes to their tactics along the way opening up different opportunities for different um people to be involved so not everyone is coming to to just get arrested and demanding change that way you know you can be involved uh, they did some great work recently on um, outreach um, so we can sometimes um, uh, think of these movements that use what you were saying I think Patrick especially when it's like XR who have quite slick branding I think that's maybe um, you know they've got that they've got the logo which is really you know plastered everywhere at, at times um, and that you can think of them as this sort of big institution, but it's a lot of people coming together online in makeshift spaces and people's homes and like basements of um, buildings, and uh, that's that's really messy, you know. These these um, where the sort of boundaries are. So one of the great things though to see is, has been the the shifts, the acknowledgement that as I say, action can happen in lots of different ways underneath their banner. That they can give the weight as well of their supporter base to other causes you know there's they've recently um adapted their their strategy and are trying something different uh, about involving 3.5 percent i think of the, the uk population in, in their activity um and uh in the last rebellion they had a really committed focus on outreach you know they had a day which was not focused on um being on the bridges specifically uh, or doing banner drops, it was let's door knock. You know, it's not about talking to the to the um, to newspapers today. It's about talking to just ordinary people around the country, and um, and talking to them about what they're doing and why they're doing it. Because a lot of the flag has um, 
has been has rooted in, in in people you know there's a lot of resentment towards towards xr they're seen as the people who are going to stop you from being able to get to work today or you know allow you to get to ch uh, to childcare and, and things so um yeah um i guess that that's where the sort of hive mentality although it's it's really messy it also means that they can adapt and get towards towards that desired place which i really do believe is is central to what they were they desire which is more inclusive climate action mm. and um i really liked when they're, they're sort of way allowing the weight of their supporter base um um to to support other um causes like the um the e effort to to counter the hammering of protests um uh by the uk government you know through the the police um bill that, that just came through you know they were really active with other social movements and um, to do that so that was a really yeah, amazing to see, I think, and shows their ability to adapt. Yeah, thanks. I, I think that's a much more nuanced account and um, a much more generous account, to be honest, which is certainly what we need more of within within social movements and, um, you know, discussion about social movements. But um, maybe we could move on to the another part of your work, which is, I guess, a, a more geographic uh, a aspect, which is that comparing XR uh, within different um, countries. So I, I think it's Ireland, UK and Eteria. And um, I think looking at how those different con contexts maybe shape, um, you know, not just the evolution of XR, but also the kinds of critiques and challenges that they have. Mm. Yeah, definitely. It's really interesting, um, that part of the, um, doing the research for, for the essay. Um, just looking at the, these different um, these these different countries, um, and you know, first obviously was looking at at, um, at Britain really, and, and seeing you know, what um, you know the the environment there, which I've I've talked about, this sort of conservatism and the perceived support from the general public for that that government, um, really shaped their their lens and, and speaks to why so many um, why they may feel they want to so-called collaborate with police um and when i was undertaking an interview with one activist that was based in scotland they described how there was a feeling amongst xr england activists to translate their demands to a conservative wider public to bring those who are not aligned left along with them and uh, this sort of environment really shaped both the the structure and, and how they talked about themselves and also the demand for for a sitting assembly whilst XR Aotearoa, yeah, had a really different, you know, beginning. It was um, established by people inspired by the UK November Rebellion of 2018, who who wanted to emulate the structure and demands of XR UK. And I drew a lot of, from Aotearoa activist Hugh Morgan, um, who really great, um, really great article about uh, about their time in XR Aotearoa, who painted some of the significant challenges that faced them when they created this group. The first, because of the, the lack of support available to activists in um, Aotearoa in the development of strategy. It's really different from, from the UK where you've got organizations like NEON um, who support social movements. And so the new group struggled in both strategizing and in their delivery of, of actions. So um, second was the, the demand for a citizen assembly. It proved really deeply unpopular with the indigenous Maori um, community, they noted how it sort of contravened the 
treaty of power sharing between the Maori and the uh, white settler populations. Um, uh, whilst in uh, XR um, uh, Ireland, you know, a place where um, you know, we're, we're talking from now, it was similarly, it was inspired by the November rebellion of 2018, but XR Ireland had a really different challenge. You know, citizens assemblies had been an almost institutionalized uh, approach to participation in Ireland by that point. You know, there'd been successes. They were touted as being like a world leader in citizens assemblies. And there had already been a climate um, climate assembly. And this is, you know, their, th their third demand is um, often seen, and Morgan actually talks about this in, in their article as their most substantial demand, you know, um, in terms of, um, you know, taking action and, and something that's deliverable. Um, and uh, when I was interviewing one activist from, from XR Ireland, they described how, how challenging that was. Um, uh, you know, they were drawn to the movement because they were inspired by the November rebellion. But um, the, they had to adapt the, the frame of that key demand to just uh, demanding implementation of the recommendations. Um, which is a lot, uh, <laughs> I guess it's um, a less exciting demand, um, <laughs> but uh, there was also disagreement over the robustness of the recommendations and how it fitted to a, a wider um, climate of act, uh, a wider environment of activism in, um, in Ireland that led to that point and how successful was that citizen assembly. Um, and so eventually in 2019, um, the headline demand became not related directly to the CA at all, but was, but was framed around a, a just tran transition for all people. Um, and uh, yeah, so there was all these modifications which had to happen and, and you know, these, uh, this prevented, I guess, the, uh, the really, um, the upswell that, I, that really happened in, in the UK because it was um, this sort of structure and demands were being, um, placed in uh, in different places without sensitivity to, to local particularities or include including um you know in ireland's case you know activist experience of that of that climate assembly in um in Aotearoa, you know sort of ignoring the indigenous um population um of, of you know the indigenous maori population so yeah it led, led them to all sorts of all sorts of trouble into those areas and eventually lots of sort of um, like failed failed actions, I guess. Uh, although X Ireland still um, are uh, are active, um, it, you know, in their own way, and they're doing, I think, an action at the moment around uh, sort of, uh, taking a caravan through throughout Ireland. So, um, yeah, th things have they've had to sort of adapt adapt their models over time. But um, the original. Um, transplanting of, of this structure and, and, and demand really caused all sorts of problems um, for activists. Yeah, that's it's fascinating, um, really, the ways in, in which just looking at that one demand around citizens' assemblies, how it has such different, um, you know, resonances and implications in these those three different countries. And I guess um, I, there was two things that I, I wanted to follow up with. One was you talked about briefly there about the caravan. And, I, uh, and I'm just wondering whether, you know, you'd mentioned that in recent um, UKXR um, actions, they've been looking towards door knocking, say, for example, or other kinds of outreach. And I'm just wondering if if that caravan is sort of part of that similar shift. There's a recognition that maybe, 
you know, rather than and taking these kind of spectacular actions and kind of focusing on the media and media attention, that doing this kind of more, you know, building a base, building, um, you know, uh, relationships and so on, um, whether that's becoming more important in Ireland as well and maybe also in Eteria, um, what would you, is that the case? Yeah, I would, I would definitely say that's, that's the case. It's, um, uh, I think because they you know, realize the, the need to bring people along with them and, and that maybe the, the sort of, um, direct action approach, you know, it brings along certain people, but maybe not, um, not, not everyone. Um, and there definitely has been a shift, um, and I think that, yeah, the caravan is definitely a great example of that. I, I'm not sure how active XR Altieria are anymore. Um, certainly from um, Morgan's um, article, it did feel like it was, it sort of started and, and, and ended. Um, and uh, so, yeah, whether or not this latest rebellion will inspire, uh, in the UK will similarly inspire um, a reinvigoration. Um, and whether that that sort of outreach approach will um, be taken by other parts of the movement, I know that uh, XR France, for instance, they they take a really uh, they have a really different um, uh, approach. Um, uh, but that wasn't the sort of frame of my essay, so I probably can't talk about that too much. Um, whilst yeah, XR Islands, uh, the example of the caravan is really good one. You know, bringing it really forward to people and across diff um, through different uh, parts of Ireland as well, not just centred in Dublin, which uh, I think mm. is something that uh, XR um, England um, could really learn from. Um, you know, how do we take this not just from where we traditionally see the seat of power. Um, uh, so it's not just a one way, like, you know, XR England innovates or does something different um, and uh, other places replicate. I think a more international um, learning would be would be really great. Um, One other thing I wanted to ask you about, because we've talked about it quite a bit, is this the question about demands and, you know, going back even to divestment, you know, one of the things that I said at the beginning about why, I, you know, it, it seemed to be so successful, not just as a campaign, but as a way to mobilize people was that it had quite a concrete demand um you know that you could be could be acted on it involved you know pressure and mobilization and so on but it was like a, quite a specific thing um that at the same time like threw light on a whole set of of kinds of um you know uh, political economic relationships and so on whereas i you know that the demands the three demands of xr like one tell the truth the second one which is is about ac action is it sorry what was the second one yeah it's act now act now the, the first two are, are very general, you know, they're, they're kind of vague, it's, it's not entirely clear what they mean. And then the third one is quite specific, but as we said, has different implications in different places. And I just wonder if, um, you know, even that you were talking about XR in Ireland is about just transition for all, you know, just transition for all or climate action now, which, you know, we also see in, on um, placards and so on. Again, they're, they're very broad and, you know, governments can very quickly say, oh, we're taking action. You know, corporations can say, oh, we're acting on climate. And I just wonder whether you have anything to say about that or whether there are debates, you know, that you see within XR or the wider climate movement about the need for, you know, more specific demands that are also capable of mobilizing more people. I mean, something like free public transport for all, you know. 
Yeah, I, de I definitely did. I think it it goes uh, when back to that. Uh, the, I remember where all these sort of councils and governments were de declaring a climate emergency, and uh, how that could then be, um, you know, it became a hollow um, declaration. You know, the, the, what action happened from from after that? You know, um, so. Yeah, it speaks to a sort of similar thing where that this vagueness um, of a demand can then be weaponized, um, yeah. really. And what is difficult about that is that then that destabilizes, I think, the the, the movement itself, because we see this with the citizen assemblies um, as a demand. You know, as I say, it's probably one of the more concrete. It's the more, most concrete of the demands or the um, most. Um, the one which you can be like, oh, this did or didn't happen. But even within that, you know, what makes a sit-in assembly? You know, what makes it a sit-in assembly and not a consultation? Or um, what mm. makes, you know, the recommendations, are they going to be, do they need to be acted upon? Or um, what evidence does that, uh, do those citizens need to, um, need to um, uh, be be ex exposed to for it to be a legitimate sitting assembly in XR's eyes, and um, you can see how that's that that's really become problematized for XR um, with uh, the uh, delivery of sitting assemblies. You know, because there have been climate assemblies. There's been a climate assembly in Scotland, which really, um, you know, famously, it's ended in February um, uh, this year. Um, you know, there's been one in Ireland as well. You know, there, there has also been one um, re that was pretty unsuccessful in terms of delivering any change, but in, that was a UK wide. Um, and uh, you know, that really unsettles a lot of um, uh, a lot of the the actors that I've that I've talked to because you know this is you know something you, you're um, you know you're putting your yourself on the line for. You know, you're really believing in, and you know you're turning up in the rain, the, co the wind and, you know, um, uh, doing action for, and then it doesn't um, materialize in the way that you, that you hope that it would. And um, that I think f builds a, a real level of, of frustration um, for, for activists. And I think that's where we're seeing sort of, a, you know, these changes to that third demand. Um, but the problem I see is that sometimes that they're actually making it more general rather than making it more specific. And I, I think working out what relationship activism has with these new structures. And I think it goes totally back uh, to Nancy Fraser um, and uh, these counter publics. What are the relationship between counter publics and, and um, sit assemblies, which are described as a, as a mini public? Um, you know what is a mini public relationship to counter publics and um, and activists and uh, how do how do they get involved how do they shape this so yeah the need to have um, you know a, a vision a, um, for for what is or is not um, a, a legitimate sit assembly um, really uh, yeah it's, it's feels quite evident um, at, at the moment for for XR activists and I know that there are lots of Tensions, or not tensions. There are lots of discussions within. I'm sure those tensions as well, um, where uh, some are advocating for 
assemblies where all the recommendations, if they're supported by a majority of members, um, so say 80%, then they have to be implemented by the by government. Um, and uh, you know that is one example of um, something that would be really really, really concrete, but um, you know would need for for XI to think more about like, so what are the design principles even of a, of a sitting assembly? You know how should it be facilitated? Who should be doing that? You know who owns that process? Mm. Um, is it a government who owns that process? Like you know these things, and that's where it's it's. Perhaps the the you know it, it, it sort of is is needing to be to be worked out. Whilst you know, as you say, the divestment campaign was so it was really clear. You know, from the get go, you could talk to people, talk about specific figures, talk about how it how it needs how it could be invested in other ways, mm. um, and uh, and that felt something that people could really wrap their heads around more than sort of you know especially the um, tell the truth who who tell, who needs to tell mm, the truth yeah, yeah that, that one yes yeah. particularly vague yeah. i guess the thing with divestment though similarly is that i i know again through you know meeting with with students who were involved is that once the divestment had happened had had inadverted commas i mean some of it was divested but there was still lots of other money coming through the university from fossil fuel industries and so on but once the divestment had kind of happened you know, the university was able to, you know, pat itself on the back and everyone was kind of, you know, happy that, the, the, you know, something good had happened. And then what? And I, I know that there was then there was a bit of a void as to where where does where does that energy go? And, you know, again, that's a, a, a long standing question, you know, for social movements in terms of social movements are about movement. Um, and they're about, you know, keeping some kind of counter-public mobilized. Um, but if you have demands that can be institutionalized, that can be turned into part of a kind of a, you know, the, the, a kind of, you know, govern, you know, governing sort of um, uh, apparatus or whatever regime, well, then the movement is seen to not need, be needed anymore. And I guess a, a, a kind of a... a a capacity that goes beyond that demand being, um, you know, just met in some kind of way or, or implemented in some kind of way. But we've run out of time. I mean, I, I would I would happily talk more about these things. And I think, you know, looking at XR in the kind of detail that you have, and it's, it's such careful, I, I think, um, thinking and such generous thinking that I, I think people will really appreciate. And certainly I learned a lot. And I hope that, you know, people, you're not just involved in XR, but people who are interested and involved in climate movements or activism in different ways, um, you know, get something from, from your work and from this conversation, and I'm, I'm sure they will. So thanks very much, Will, and um, best of luck with your thesis, which I know is expanding on this work and, and whatever comes after. Yeah, thanks so much. Yeah.